This is an ABC podcast. On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. A tan is skin cells in trauma from overexposure to UV radiation from the sun. There is nothing healthy about a tan. Nothing. Our bronzed Aussie culture is actually killing us. So we call on advertisers and social media influencers. Stop glamorising tanning or using it to sell or advertise. So that's the co-director of the Melanoma Institute of Australia, Georgina Long. It was a part of her acceptance speech who, along with Professor Richard Scolia, who are both just named Australian of the Year. And we have the pleasure and the privilege a little later in this program of having Richard join us on today's Conversation Hour. But if you heard or watched that acceptance speech, you would have seen that they warned us that our tanning culture is killing us and that last weekend and this weekend which is going to be hot as well that we'll be working on our tans but as they see it people brewing their melanomas and according to the cancer council australia has one of the highest rates of skin cancer in the world Yet all over TikTok and social media, and if you've got a teenager in your house, then you will know what I'm talking about. Tanning culture is everywhere. Tanning hacks, tanning lotions, striving and comparing for tanning lines is alive and real. I had a family member tell me over the holidays that her teen daughter was taught from social media to tan on one side for 15 minutes and then to turn over and tan on the other side and that was the safe way to tan. We're even seeing a rebranding somewhat of solarium, something that was banned 10 years ago, slip through the cracks and make their way back into popular culture. So is there a whole new generation of tan-loving teens or are they no different to other generations? Do some of us still strive for a tan or believe that a tan is healthy? How do we educate either the next generation coming through or maybe yourself on sun safety? Is tanning culture making its way back or has it never left? On the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Slip on a shirt, slap on sunscreen and slap on a hat. Slip, slap, slap. You can stop skin cancer, slap. Slip, slap, slap. Slap. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt here with you. You're on the Conversation Hour. And today we throw our focus on tanning culture. Joining you in the studio and taking your calls, Adjunct Associate Professor Craig Sinclair, the Head of Prevention at the Cancer Council of Victoria. Craig, a warm welcome back to the Conversation Hour. It's great to see you this year. I don't know a parent at the moment that has a teen girl in particular, whether it be a family member or someone that I've been speaking to at the local gym that isn't talking about their daughter that is striving for a tan line. Is there a whole new generation of young people that see tanning culture as something that's healthy and that they want to do? 
Yeah, thanks, Rochelle. Uh, look, it's we're seeing this a lot in social media and particularly real concerns about the promotion of tanning uh, by influencers. And this is impacting the desire for a tan in young people. The, the, the good news is that the majority of young people no longer desire a tan. And we we've really have changed the landscape since the 1980s in terms of that preference and turning the corner to the point where the majority of young people don't desire a tan. But there still mean that still means there's a lot of young people who uh, do have a preference for a tan and social media is only accelerating their desire. So this this is a new front for our public health efforts and one that we're certainly very concerned about. I know a little later in the program we'll be speaking with the newly crowned Australian of the Year, Professor mm. Richard Scolia. And it was almost this time last year that yourself and Richard were on this program and he had made an address to the press club saying, look, we need a whole new level of advertising and promotion. We need to get the message out there. But the landscape of, like previously we had the Slip Slop Slap campaign, so there's many of us where we know that. We think Slip Slop Slap before we head out. But it was quite easy to promote that at the time. You had magazines, television, maybe a little an outdoor advertising campaign and that was it. The world is different now. How and where do you begin to educate? Yeah, that's exactly the case. And with young people, the idea of advertising like we used to on mainstream media and television in particular is no longer going to work. I've been fortunate to be working with the Commonwealth Government along with Cancer Councils across the country develop a, a new campaign which has only just launched in the last couple of weeks aimed towards those 18 to 29 and if you're not in that target group, you won't see the campaign. But That's probably a good thing. That <laughs> is a good thing. It means we're spending our money wisely. But it won't be on mainstream TV. The, the a big effort will be around engaging with influencers, obviously using digital channels to communicate. We know that's what is influencing behaviour and we have to be making sure we're investing in ways that are going to influence and encourage young people to think differently around their preference for a tan. That's fraught, though, because you need influencers. You can't keep up with who's cool, who's mm. not cool, who's influencing, who isn't. Then there's how much they cost and charge for just, say, X amount of posts. I was shocked to learn what some people will pay just for, say, 10 sponsored posts. Mm young people need to approve of these influences. How do you keep on top of who's cool and who isn't? Well, I'm the last person at my, <laughs> my age to be able to be helpful in that regard, but fortunately we have lots of uh, talented uh, people much younger and wiser who know how to engage influences at the right level. But it is difficult and it's all about uh, making sure that the messages are authentic to the individual. It's no point using a, a very big influencer that has been for years promoting pro-tanning beliefs and then all of a sudden you, you mm. throw them a few bucks and and for a few posts they might be promoting some sun smart messages and as soon as the that finishes they're, they're back doing the old the old thing that's not going to work for us and i think it's not going to work for for the influencer around being authentic so you do have to make sure you you pick the right people who are A, going to be influential, importantly, yeah. but 
B, have have that history of promoting sun protection in their past. What's fascinating is the Slip Slop Slap campaign. It wasn't a scare campaign. It was a cutesy little cartoon, right, with a jingle that is stuck in our heads for decades now. Did you go along the scare campaign? Is is the social media campaign people having melanomas cut, in, cut out? Is it people dying or is, is it kind of cutesy and cool? Well, it's a bit of both. I mean, we have to tell the stories. The case studies are very important and influential. And we, we all remember stories like Claire Oliver, who was yes. enormously influential around solariums. Uh, so we do have to tell those stories. Uh, we also got to, for young people, tie into what is fashionable, and we have to be cognizant of that. For adults, it is about telling a much harder story. And in Victoria, we have had a campaign recently launched called Don't Let Cancer In. Hopefully, some of our listeners have seen that, but it really focuses on the uh, part that's often not talked about melanoma. Many people believe if a melanoma is detected, if they get one of those, it's fine, I'll just get a cut out. It tells a story that melanoma spreads to other organs in the body, the, the brain, the, the, the liver, the, the lungs. Uh, so it is a very serious, it is a very serious disease, and we do need to tell that story. A because we know that over two thousand Australians are still losing their lives to melanoma, but we also know it's impactful for making people think about their behaviour, but also to notice any spots that might be mm. unusual on their skin. It, that prevention message also has a very good early detection. Um, message built in. So it, it's important to get out. So many questions that I've got for you, whether it be on solariums and the rise of underground solariums, but also to access and cost associated with seeing a dermatologist. Adjunct Associate Professor Craig Sinclair, the Head of Prevention at the Council Council of Victoria is with you. Diane's called through. Good morning, Diane. I'm in my 60s and I've got like three adult children and two of them and their girlfriends and other friends use a product called Milano Tan, which stimulates the melatonin um, to give them a tan, um, and they inject it. Um, and then they say, oh, they don't have to be in the sun that long. They'll be what? in the sun for like 15 minutes and that'll produce their tan. They inject it, Diane? Yeah, yeah, it's an injectable thing. They get it online and it's sent to them and... Um, yeah. I am lost for so words. I, I don't know how dangerous that is. I am have no idea. I actually don't even know what to say. Craig, Diane, stay with us. Craig, yes. I mean, how dangerous is this product? I mean, then you've got all of the risks of injecting something that you don't know what you've bought and that you've bought online and all of the health risks that comes with using something intravenously. Yes, we've known about Melotan for some time and it is a real concern, Diane, by your story. Uh, for a number of reasons. One is that, that the product is, is not actually legally able to be um, sold in Australia. It's not hasn't got any pharmaceutical approval. So it's a real concern that that um, that young people getting access to it. What it what it was designed for um, was to stimulate melanin, which is the melanin is in our skin is what makes us tan. But it also has risks and when you think about the genesis of 
melanoma, and this is where um, Professor Richard Scolio, uh, this is his expertise. So I am we'll venturing ask him in just a moment. <laughs> yeah, so I'm venturing into <laughs> into territory where far more experts know a lot more. But in simple terms, uh, this product it stimulates melanin, and it has risks because of that in terms of the potential to stimulate um, melanocytes, which is what cause melanoma. So it is a real concern, and right. uh, I, I haven't got advice uh, how to how to support you in this one, Diane. But it is obviously a, a real concern that this product is available, and that you know people are using it. Have you spoken to them about using it and, and the dangers potentially associated with it, Diane? And what was their response? Um, well, no, because I didn't really know what dangers there were, and I just thought, well. Something you inject doesn't actually sound very good to me. Yeah. Um, and now that I've heard that it will stim- it stimulates what if you've got like a a basal cell carcinoma or something, it will stimulate that and make it worse or um, cause them to come up. It, it's a bit of a worry. Stay listening because when we do have Professor Richard Scully on a little later, he might have some more details on that as well. Diane, thank you. My goodness, the things that you learn and the things that shock you on this show. Is that a part of it? I mean, the fact that they're illegal and, you know, Diane's daughter and friends are buying this easily and, and injecting it. How do we, I mean, whew, how big is this conversation, right? How do we limit access? How do we build a, a framework and safety nets around what is legal, what isn't, what you can purchase on the internet? Or is that just how do you stop the internet? <laughs> yes, I think it's a bit like that, Rochelle. Look, it's it's difficult because these products are being um, clearly imported into the country and uh, people are commercially taking advantage of vulnerable people by making them available fully well known of um, the risks associated with it but it's very it's very difficult I could imagine in terms of how to curtail something like this but it, it is clearly a concern from a regulatory mm. point of view. Is there a safe amount of sun exposure? A few people saying well how do I balance getting vitamin D and others saying you know well look you know I have other particular conditions where I need to be able to get sunlight. Is there a healthy amount? How do we balance that? There is, and we we have such a wonderful country and climate and lifestyle that we want to be outside and enjoy ourselves. And the the simple precautions are that when when the UV is at risk, which is generally when it's above three, it's always wise to use sun protection, your hats and protective clothing, sunscreen to protect yourself, and then parts of the day or parts times of the year when the UV is not likely to be at risk, then you don't need to worry about those forms of sun protection. In terms of vitamin D, it is important that our body Mm. uh, has exposure to to vitamin D that is generated either through tablet form or through exposure to the sun. But at this time of year, we're talking minutes, Two, three minutes. Uh, Isn't it incredible, though, how quickly, if you think, okay, I'm just going to pop down to the shops, I'll be right, I won't be very long, and maybe you haven't put your sunscreen on, even though most of us should be putting it on every day before we leave mm. the house, that you will see some form of sun damage, some kind of sunburn in the shortest periods of time now. Yes, and uh, at this time of year, in the middle of the day, the UV index is uh, up 
to 13, which is extreme, which essentially means you can get the first sign of skin damage in around 11 minutes in Victoria. And often it's when people get caught out is when they most likely get burnt. And I've this, I've had, had this happen to me many times too, but it's when you might start off doing, oh, just do a little bit of gutter, pull that <laughs> weed out here. And before you know it, you've been out for half an hour, which just goes in a flash. But that half an hour is enough to give you quite a significant level of sunburn if you haven't taken any precautions. And that's just the... That's just what we're dealing with in terms of the intensity yeah. of UV at this time and of year. And thinking about all the little extra spots, like I, my, the part in my daughter's hair, she always mm. likes over hair platter, so there's always, so the top of her head, you know, remembering mm. sunscreen, hat, all of those things. Rita's in Greensboro. Good morning, Rita. Good morning. I must say that injection story made me was mortified at the fact that these kids are happy to inject themselves with anything. I know, anyway. I know, same. Rita, what have you experienced? Um, I was actually in a cafe the other day. I was discussing with my husband just last night. Um, and the two girls behind the counter uh, were talking about, uh, one said, oh, you've got uh, good vitamin, or you had a good dose of vitamin D. And the other one responded, yeah, real D, real dark. And I thought, that's awful. I had my first melanoma taken out when I was 38 weeks pregnant with my first child. If they only knew yeah. the drama, if they only knew. Do you think... It's changed though, Rita, when we talk about, you know, young girls or boys or whoever it may be talking about their tan, striving for a tan. Were we any different in the 70s and 80s? You know, we're talking, you know, I remember my mum putting coconut oil and baby oil on her skin. My friends at school doing the same thing. Is Has anything actually changed? I hope so, because our recipe used to be Aerogard and, and baby oil because you would burn faster. <laughs> These are the things. I mean, is yes. that any different to the hacks that we're now seeing on social media? It's just that we're getting the information differently, Craig. Well, I, I think there was a lot more promotion of uh, or desire amongst the Australian population for a dark or very dark tan back, back in the 1980s in particular. And we, uh, we have advanced there where I mean, a dark or very dark tan I don't think is as socially desirable as it certainly was back then. So we have made advances uh, from a public health context and also the environment that um, is supporting particularly children in schools, in primary schools in particular, has changed dramatically. Yeah, that's something that's been a huge shift. And I think that does help um, set set the framework in terms of what's expected. And we know once young people leave primary school and get to high school, it's a very different scene and we still have a lot of work to do. But we are laying a foundation and that that has been i think had a very positive effect this text my 23 year old son has it in his head that sunscreen itself is toxic and the idea that if you go out in the sun you'll build up resistance to cancer i think that this has just come from the likes of social media and other people that debank all of these kinds of things that's from kate in west footscray so how do you work through all of that misinformation that's out there we're talking tanning culture whether it's changing attitudes changing generation and how do we re-educate do we need a new slip slop slap 
on the ABC Listen app, your smart speaker, and on AM radio. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, my name's Rochelle Hunt and in the studio with you, Adjunct Associate Professor Craig Sinclair, who's the Head of Prevention at the Cancer Council of Victoria. As we're talking about the rise in tanning culture and in particular some of the messages and the misinformation that is out on social media at the moment. Well, one man who is certainly in the spotlight at the moment and has been campaigning and working tirelessly for this exact cause is Professor Richard Scolia, recently named Australian of the Year alongside his co-director Georgina Long. A warm welcome to you, Richard. And first things first, I know you're probably being congratulated every day, but we have to congratulate you on your Australian of the Year. It couldn't go to a more deserving person. Before, thank you very much, Rochelle. R- Rochelle, and yeah, good to speak to you again, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Great to hear. Great to hear from you. Before we sort of talk about some of the changes you'd like to see, I dare say everyone that's listening at the moment is wondering how you are. We know that just recently you had your eight-month scan and you were pleased with the results there. What's sort of the next stage of of treatment looking like for you, Richard? Well, still going down this path. Um, as you say, I had a scan that didn't show any recurrence of tumour. The average time to recurrence is six months. I'm now out to eight months. I'm actually sitting in a radiology uh, a, a place or a nuclear medicine place. I'm about to have a PET scan to check that I haven't had any recurrence, but it's not very likely given what we saw on the MRI scan. And I had more combination immunotherapy on Monday. So it's all, all ongoing. Um, but I'm travelling well. Well, we wish you the best for that next scan today. So thank you for taking the time out to speak with it. We really appreciate it. This time, sort of, it was probably a little earlier, but around this time last year, we spoke, this is pre your diagnosis, and you'd made an address to the press club, really calling for changes to how we promote and how we advertise and how we also police that tanning culture. Is the government listening to you, do you think, and and listening to your colleagues at the moment? Well, I'm sure they're listening in some degree, but we need to do a whole lot better at um, stopping this glamorisation of, of tanning. Australia's obsessed with tanning and and you know, the bronze Aussie culture is ultimately killing us. There's nothing healthy about a tan. A tan is skin cells in trauma from overexposure to ultraviolet irradiation. So we call on advertisers and social media influencers to take immediate action to stop glamorising tanning. We need to rethink our campaigns and contents and and I think for all fellow Australians if you see it call it out and demand change. How do you do that Richard? If it, if we were to ban it for example would it would you like to see fines like how how do you stop it if you had control now what would you like to see happen? Well I think yeah, I think number one is community attitudes, but how you bring that through, whether or not it requires legislative changes or not, that's not my not my area of expertise. But um, yeah, but we do know there's data that shows if you invest in um, invest in prevention of skin cancer, it pay one dollar invested pays back about three dollars. So it's a great investment to to be making i guess one challenge is that when we talk about other safety measures like seat belts and helmets and it it it, it's you get immediate feedback but for 
sun safe you, it takes some time to develop mm. uh, these cancers afterwards so the it's not something that often engages people straight away that they're short term keen on a tan but don't really understand or don't see the effects of tanning on on people down the track it's interesting there's so many texts along those lines richard scully i mean and here's just one of them it says thank you thank you thank you for this conversation i had a melanoma on the top of my head and it was only found because my kids had lice and my hubby checked my hair so hearing you speak about your daughter's hair part is very close to my home i had olive skin and i was always told i was lucky because i tanned we need to keep talking around this i'm fine now lice saved my life Mm -hmm. (laughs) is that particular message but the idea that we need to keep talking about it because richard it is generational isn't it do you feel like the tanning culture is worse now say than when you know you and i were in our teens well i guess it's changed in somewhat how we got the message through with the slip slop slap campaign in the 1980s when it began the media was different and a lot of it was through television so the message got through now social media is big influence so we need to find a way to get through get the message through particularly to younger people and again that's i'm not the expert on this but there are experts in in how to get the message through with with media and social media so we need to engage with those people to come up with a program that's going to be more effective craig sinclair how in important is this moment to have someone like professor richard scolio as australian of the year to be able to get your message his message georgina's message all of your colleagues all of your researchers all of those who are living with melanoma who are diagnosed with melanoma who have lost somebody they love to melanoma this moment in time for melanoma is huge it's incredible and 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 again from my point congratulations richard and and of course to georgina as well i, I was just so delighted a, because it was no one more deserving, but um, very selfishly knowing that this was, as you've said, a real moment in time. I've, I've been working in this area for 30 years and there is um, that the risk has always been in recent times that the message wears out and, mm-hmm. and people are still talking about slip, slop, slap. This, this was a, a, a campaign that was generated in 1985 and really hasn't been promoted as a as a campaign for 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 decades and and the the risk of course is that people forget um, we have a whole new generation of young people who haven't been exposed to to those messages from decades ago and so when i i heard about your award um, i just could not have been more excited about the opportunity that this brings to raise awareness, mm-hmm. to really give the work that you and, and I know many others uh, are, are working in a, a kickstart to yeah. to raise the consciousness of, of the Australian population around this issue. We, we have 2,000 Australians dying from a, a melanoma every year. I mean, that is a phenomenal amount of people. And even though we've made great advances with thanks to people like Richard in terms of treatment, we still are losing far too many lives to this disease yeah. for a disease that is almost entirely preventable. 
Do you feel like you're being listened to or that you will, yourself and Georgina, will be listened to more at the moment? Richard, is that sort of thing of, right, I've got you now. Let's try and get X, Y and Z done and get that ticked off. I wouldn't quite word it like that, um, Rochelle, but no, I do feel that we have a platform now that we can utilise to try and try and push the, the field forward to for the benefit of, of all Australians. And, you know, it, it, this is obviously an important message, but, there, yeah, there's a few other things that we think are also important. We think for Australians to, to know, so prevention is obviously better than cure. That's got to be number one. Yeah. But also for Australians to, to know the skin you're in because and seek advice if you see something new or changing because early detection saves lives so if you detect melanoma early most people will be cured from it so i think this is a very important message too and also to develop a, a targeted screening program for people who are at higher risk of developing melanoma just like we do in in bowel cancer and um, breast yes. cancer, for example. There's lots of texts coming in saying, well, I was always told that I had olive skin, so I'm, I'm lucky that I'll tan or that I have less chance of, of getting skin cancer. We know, of course, fair-skinned people do burn a lot easier. But, Richard, I mean, are there still a lot of myths out there? Because I love the idea of what you just said of know the skin that you're in. Do people have false belief of the skin that they're in and whether or not they will be impacted by the sun and by melanoma? Well, I, I don't feel I can answer that question honestly, but that the the truth is that the risk of developing melanoma is not the same in all individuals, and it's through um, putting a hierarchy on those risks, we can develop a targeted melanoma screening program to put the people who have the highest risk onto it, and and that'll save money for the Australian community and and hopefully save lives. Well, I haven't worded that quite right. It should be the other way around. We'll save lives for the Australian community and, and mm. hopefully save um, money for the Australian um, community as well. Well, as we said right at the very beginning, uh, we congratulate you on this award, yourself and Georgina, and we wish you all the best. The fact that you're about to go in for a scan, I feel like we need to let you go and, and get yourself ready. So thank you so much for taking some time out and for all the work that we do. And, uh, yeah, we, we wish you all the best in all of your treatment. Yeah, thanks very much, Rochelle. Great to talk to you, Craig. And we've got to get to zero deaths from melanoma, which is our goal at the Melanoma Institute Australia. And yeah, we're trying at all angles, and ultimately, we want to we want to benefit all cancer patients through discoveries that we're making. Well, we aim for zero deaths in the road toll. Let's aim for zero deaths in melanoma as well. Absolutely, Richard. Thank you so much. Good on you, Richard. My pleasure. Professor Richard Scolia there, Australian of the Year. He is the Melanoma Institute of Australia. He's the co-medical director. That platform that he's been given at the moment, along, of course, with Georgina Long and, and the work that they do, this can be a moment in time. But as you said, you know, the message can wear off. How do we keep it focused? Because the fact that it's preventable, it's so frustrating. Yes, yes, exactly. And we, we need to do it on a number of levels. I mean, communication uh, is is one thing, but it is around also policies and the expectations that people have in settings that there are environments in which they can be easily protected, particularly in workplaces where people spend long periods of time outdoors. We've seen some great changes over the decades 
Uh, you see that with Australian post workers, many council yes. workers. But there are pockets of industry, particularly construction, where there's lots of subcontractors, where we see very poor compliance. Those things can be rectified with with good policies and expectations on employers around what is regarded as a safe workplace and making sure people are using sun protection, the environment is set up for that to happen, is an important step. And the other, which I've mentioned earlier, was the secondary schools. And we we still have a, a long way to go. I mean, there's a lot going on in that space in terms of other health issues mm. and other things that we need to be very cognizant of supporting young people in. But there is no doubt it is a gap. Talking about workplaces, people saying I'm a delivery driver, I'm driving all day long, I'm tanned on one side, I'm constantly putting on 50 plus my arm and my hand, I try and keep it away from the window when I can and always have the air con on, but even on a cool day I still get burnt on that particular arm, that's from Alan. One thing I've noticed and when we talk about regulation is that there's sunscreen and there's sunscreen and some will cost $6 for a huge big tub and some will cost $35 for a small little tub. And even just if I'm using my family as a case study here, some sunscreens work and some don't. Are some better than others or does it just depend on your skin and what suits your skin type? We're really fortunate in Australia that our sunscreens are regarded as a pharmaceutical product as opposed to a cosmetic product in in other countries. What that means that there is really um, stringent requirements on manufacturers to produce a product that meets the specifications that, that are on the label. So whether you choose to purchase uh, a generic brand sunscreen at $10 versus an equivalent size that might be $35, um, you're going to get the same benefit in terms of if it's got an SPF 30 or 50 on the label, you will get that. Um, the thing that's most important around sunscreens is choosing a product that you find that is cosmetically appealing. And if you use a product that you like applying, you use lots more of it. And that is the key. The, the only sort of exception to the rule is what we've learned is around aerosol sunscreens, which are nowhere near as effective. And what you get on the label is not necessarily what you get on the skin because the sunscreen is dispersed with the aerosols that's pushing it out, the propellant, and you are very unlikely to get be able to Any get of it on your skin. Get it on your Especially skin. Especially at the beach. Yes. All... Well, <laughs> the, we, we, we did a study and uh, if you're on a, a beach and might be 20 kilometre winds, which is pretty typical for a beach day, you, you're losing 90% of the product. And, um, 90%? Yes. And so for someone to get a full-bodied um, uh, exposure of sunscreen at the level that is required to get the SPF, so if it's an SPF 50 sunscreen, you would need around three and a half cans because you're losing so much in the wind. So to get a full-bodied exposure, full-body um, treatment of sunscreen wow. at the level that's required, uh, it will cost you about $90. So it's not an effective product in that what regard. What about sunscreen in makeup? So it'll say it has SPF 15. Does that do anything? It does. The difference, though, is in makeup, 
people don't apply enough and because you're applying that product almost as, as a cosmetic to make it appealing uh, rather than applying it to give you the protection that you need. So even though it might say SPF 15 or 30, if you're only just lightly smearing it on your skin, you're and just not going to... And is 15 gonna... enough to protect you these days? Because we sort of see 30 and 50 as the base. Certainly uh, 30 and 50 is better. 15 still makes a difference. It is effectively, if you use it properly, it's giving you 15 times more protection than what you would have with no sunscreen. But you need to use a lot of it. So if you're using a 15 and only just smearing it very lightly on your skin, you're getting very, very little protection. We'll speak to Dr Alice Rudd, dermatologist, in just a moment, who is one of the doctors who campaigned very hard to get solariums banned, which was a success. We're coming up to nearly 10 years of that. But Jackie's in beautiful part of Gippsland in Willow Grove. Morning, Jackie. Good morning. What did um, you want to say? I wanted to say just how... I think everybody should have regular skin checks and how lucky you can be. Over 20 years ago, I was with my GP having a regular checkup and a breast examination and she noticed a spot in the middle of my back on my spine. Now, I would never have noticed that. She sent me off. She didn't think it was anything, but sent me off to a skin specialist and it was a, you know, a grade one, low grade melanoma. So... It was taken off. I had to have regular skin checks, I think, for the first two years every three months. And 20 years later, I still have skin checks every six months. But I'm still alive because I had a wonderful GP who noticed it. But now, you know, I'm out in the sun. I have a long sleeve cotton shirt. I have long sleeve pants. I have a broad brim hat. And um, the only problem with all of that is I have to now take special vitamin D tablets from a compound pharmacy because even though I'm, I'm active and I'm out in the sunshine, I cover up so well that I need some extra vitamin D. But, you know, in the scheme of things, I just think I'm very lucky. So I, yeah. I just like... Oh, I'm so glad to hear, Jackie, mm. and the fact that you had a great GP. And isn't it interesting as you age, the different things that you start to wear to the beach, for example, you know, like I find I'm the one that's sitting there kind of wrapped in a towel and a hat and under the umbrella. And is it okay to wear a boiler suit to the beach? I'm not sure, but it changes over the years, which is a good thing as well. And many of messages like this saying, I go to the pool now wearing a full rushy wrists, high neckline, plus shorts, I wear SBF 50. I get people looking at me and shocked, but I look around and see people deliberately sunbaking at midday when the UV is extreme. It's just the same at the beach. I think we have a long way to go. Maybe a TAC-type commercial needs to be the way to try and educate and to maybe scare people, says Lucinda. Ladies and gentlemen, if I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria, this is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt with you, Adjunct Associate Professor Craig Sinclair, the Head of Prevention at the Council Council of Victoria with you as well. As we look at, well, somewhat of a rise in tanning culture, maybe you've got a teenager in your house that's striving for tan lines, that's using products, as we heard earlier, uh, even injecting something called Milano tan Mm. to try and increase their particular tan. What can we do to change this? How can we educate people? It was around 10 years ago that we saw solariums banned, now illegal in Victoria. 
We knew at the time, Craig, that there may be uh, a black market that people might still buy them, whether they be secondhand and have them in their backyards, in their garages, or there may be, you know, dodgy salons that you can go to. But we've also seen a rise in some celebrities promoting different types of solariums. Well, Dr. Alice Rudd is a dermatologist and was one of the doctors at the very early stages who fought hard to have them banned and has been very vocal on social media. I know Alice calling out people like Kim Kardashian for example, that are talking about having a solarium in her house or in her, I don't know, Kim Kardashian castle, wherever it is that she lives. How frustrated are you at the moment, Dr. Alice Rod? Hi, Rochelle. Thank you. Very, very frustrated. And I do. I blame TikTok and I blame the influencers. This tanning culture has really changed even in my practice, perhaps even over the last, say, two, three years. It's become a very glamorised thing to have a tan. What do you say? I mean, are you seeing younger patients? Are you seeing parents? What What do you say to patients? Well, I see a lot of teenagers and I think a lot of parents are also frustrated, much like me. Many of us grew up in the 80s where slip, slop, slap was the theme. And we seem to have forgotten that theme and we seem to have forgotten that education component. So a lot of teenagers are desiring a tan now and are actively trying to tan, sometimes with sunscreen, sometimes not. I think it's very frustrating for the parents because they have to, they really are up against things like social media where these teenagers are getting a very strong message that a tan is beautiful. How do we change that, Alice? Is it just, I mean, we can have education, but teenagers don't listen to us at no, the best of times. So, no, what do we especially do? Not, especially not to their parents. Exactly. Um, look, I think my honest opinion from what I've seen is the only way to talk to these teenagers is by social media. That's what they're influenced by and that's what they listen to. So if they see Kim Kardashian jumping into her sunbed in her office, they're going to think that's the thing that they should be doing. So there has to be more people who are influencing the other way, I think, on social media and somehow getting through to these kids. But then your algorithm, if you're into Kim Kardashian and tanning, then the anti-tanners is probably not going to come through no. on your algorithm, isn't it? So it's, it's this beast that we have to fight against. Have you seen any evidence, Alice, because at the time when solariums were banned, there was a real fear that they would go underground, people would buy them, they'd have them in their sheds or their garages, and then they would could use them without any kind of policing of how often they use them. Is there any evidence that solariums are still around and operating? Yes. Anecdotally, obviously, from my point of view, I have a lot of many patients who use solariums and are quite open with that information with me, but come for a regular skin check in the context of that. The problem with all the solariums is that you cannot charge money. You can't have them as a, in commercial use, but you can have them in your backyard or underground in your garage without people. People can use them, but they can't actually pay for them. But what happens most of the time is there's just a little donation box at the front that you leave uh, a oh donation into before mm. you use it. They're certainly still around. There's certainly a lot of people that are still using them. Um, and I see many of them, at least they're coming for a skin check, I guess, but they're probably many who are not. Not that I'm like, but how do you buy them? Like they're illegal. So if you're buying I, them off, you know, some kind of marketplace, how how is how does this even happen? I suspect a lot of them were from the time when they were legal, and people have just kept them. And so you know, they, their businesses basically had to dissolve overnight when these new regulations came in. Right. So they've just kept them, and they've kept them going over all these years. But the concern, obviously, is 
how are these machines being serviced? How are they being managed and looked after if there isn't a sort of a, a group or a company that's able to make sure that what the light source that's emitting from them is safe? It, well, not safe, I guess is the word, but is being monitored, yeah. it's been regulated and, and fine-tuned, I guess. I can remember in the 80s, my mum would go in to the hairdresser for a perm and, you know, get a pop into the solarium at the same time. And the changes that we've seen in that period. Just finally, Alice, because we know that you're busy and you're seeing patients. How do we, I mean, we heard before, you know, someone talk about the fact that if it wasn't for their doctor and it wasn't for their skin check, they were stage one melanoma. It could have been a lot worse. How do we make skin checks and access to dermatologists to doctors like yourself easier and more affordable because probably the average person at the moment can't afford to go and get a skin check. I would advocate for a screening program for Australians. We have the highest rates of skin cancer. I don't really understand why we can't have a good national screening program, much like a breast screening program, much like a colon cancer screening program, particularly for those that are high risk. That would reduce that financial barrier of entry. Thank you so much for your time, Alice. We appreciate it as always. Keep campaigning. Thanks, Michelle. And keep those social media posts going. They're really great. Dr. Alice Rod, they're dermatologists at Skin Depth Dermatology. And every time there is a Kim Kardashian or someone coming out with some kind of skin tanning hack, guaranteed Alice will jump on there and she will counterbalance that, which is what we need. There's a text here, Associate Professor, Adjunct Associate Professor Craig Sinclair is with you, the Head of Prevention at the Council Council of Victoria. And it simply just says, and I love this, sunscreen should be free. How possible is that? Well, I mean, sunscreens, uh, certainly they are prohibitive in cost for some people. The good, uh, well, the positive thing is that sunscreen should always be the last line of defence anyway. So clothing, hats, which uh, don't necessarily cost additional dollars are the best line of defence against UV and that skin left exposed uh, sunscreen is is good. So it's always best to rely on our hats and clothing uh, before we, we go to sunscreen. And we wouldn't want, if we had it necessarily free in all cases then people would not may not necessarily be using other methods which are going to be more more effective oh, okay good point nick's been waiting so patiently he's in middle park good morning nick good morning um thanks i wanted to join in with what alice was saying at the end there in that my wife has stage 3b melanoma diagnosed she's just finished 12 months of immunotherapy and we're going through the ongoing scanning processes and uh, there's probably three points that I think are really important. One is she now is required to do skin checks every six months and it costs $240 yes. out of pocket. Uh, we sent our son in who's 25 and had an unusual uh, lesion on his skin for a spot check and he was told, don't be ridiculous, you are too young. And he said, well, I've got, you know, there's a history now in our family of it. And he was made to feel like it was abnormal to go and get his skin checked. Um, so, and then he was charged $70, which he obviously complained about. I'm quite shocked by that, to uh, be honest. So, yeah. so it, it was really poor and it was actually in a uh, clinic that does um, skin checks. And, and then the third part is that I would encourage listeners that my wife went to a dermatologist in the GP who first looked at her uh, spot and told her that she was being paranoid. 
and not to have it removed but check it again in six months. So it probably had gone from one stage to another in that time until my wife demanded to have it taken off. And the dermatologist didn't even organise a biopsy at the time. So if somebody's worried about their skin, I would say, you know, go with your gut feel and make sure... Yeah, and advocate for you, for yourself. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's such good advice, Nick. And it sounds like both your, your wife and your son mm-hmm. truly advocate for themselves. Thank you so much for, for calling and sharing your story. And, and we wish your entire family all the best. Thanks very much. Multiple texts that say, thank you, I've just booked my annual skin checkup. I was too busy last year to do that, but thank you for the reminder, says Beck. And another saying, I booked in for a skin check with my dermatologist, but I was told I couldn't get in until April. That's from Mim. I had a similar thing. Uh, I get annual skin checks. I've had a couple of little dodgy bits and pieces mm. cut out of me. So I went from six months to 12 month skin checkups, but they're reoccurring. And I will get a call to say, you're due. But you don't want to wait six months. How do no. we fix this? Yeah, Re- Rochelle, the, we, we often hear about the difficulty getting in to see a dermatologist for those skin checks, and it can be with anywhere from three to six months. I certainly encourage anyone who has a spot that might be they're concerned about, that might be changing shape, colour or size, the first port of call um, should be their family GP. They don't need to go to a specialist skin clinic um, GPs do see quite a few skin cancers and they are pretty getting well um, trained to be able to recognise what what is that um, p- possible risk. So the first protocol, always rely on your family GP in, in the first instance to, to check that spot. And if they're in any way concerned, they, they will refer you to a dermatologist and in that way, you're more likely to be fast-tracked. So the, the GP is a great place to start. And uh, I really encourage anyone who has any concern about a particular spot to go and do that. And we've heard some amazing stories today, Rochelle, about those experiences. We can see what difference that can make. So many questions on the text line, and I've tried to sort of marry as many of them in as possible but here's one that I'd like to end with and it's from Elsie and it says I like that shade finding method and I love the shade as well but can we still be affected by UV rays if we're sitting in good deep shade on a bright day? What a great question. Can you? Well it depends where you are if you're at the beach you could probably still be getting 50% of the UV reflecting off the sand Uh, but if you're in good deep shade then it's probably providing 80% protection. Great. I like that idea of good deep shade. Louisa, just finally in Preston. Good morning. Oh, hi. How are you going? Look, really good. I, I just had another little thought really about the health promotion side of things and the difficulty with the tanning um, culture. And I just wondered whether a different angle might be the risk of sun uh, damage and accelerating ageing rather than focusing just on the cancer risk. Yeah, on the um, ageing. Here's the lady from, is it, it something about Mary, the neighbour that's got the really brown, <laughs> saggy, wrinkly skin? Terrible, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it'll be interesting to see what some of the uh, celebrities look like. Louise, um, good on you. you know, Thank you. Thanks for waiting and sharing that. Maybe that's a part of it as well. I feel like this, we have our annual skin checkups. I feel like we need to do our annual skin cancer conversation on this program with 
thank the Australian of the year, Professor Richard Scolia, for his work. Mm-hmm. But thank you, Craig, for the work that you do. I mean, three decades you've been trying to promote the prevention of melanoma. Just finally, do you, do you feel like you're making headway? I, I, I can rest easy. I, we have made great advances and there's still a long way to go. And your help and support of other media in getting our story out is critically important. So thank you, Rochelle. Yeah, anytime. More than welcome. Thanks for your time. Adjunct Associate Professor Craig Sinclair is the Head of Prevention of the Cancer Council of Victoria. Don't forget, the Conversation Hour is a podcast. So if you've missed the beginning of this show, maybe you missed Richard Scolia, the Australian of the Year speaking, you can go back, you can subscribe to the Conversation Hour, go to the ABC Listen app and you can listen back or you can share it. Maybe share it with a teen in your house that is striving for that particular tan. Just have it casually playing in the car so that they can listen to it and they don't even know that that information is seeping in. Thanks so much for your time. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Take care.